You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good to see you guys on this fine Sunday morning. How are we doing today? Good. Good. Well, in case you're new, last week we started this conversation about spiritual adulting. It's about growing up uh, in our faith, and some of you who are older and those of you that are younger, we all come so we can mature in our faith, right? We all come so we can grow and we can learn. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. And so one of the biggest areas in our lives where we have to learn to adult is related to our sexual practices. And before I get into this, I want to give you a couple of disclaimers. Number one, if you brought your kids into the room, uh, I would highly suggest getting them into Kid City because some of the things that I say, you may not want them to hear today. But a second disclaimer I want to give is to those of you that are new to church or what we call our spiritual investigators, we may disagree on what we think on sexual practices. I'm teaching the Christian biblical view here today, and you may not like that. And I just want to say to you, I respect you and honor you for coming into an environment where you may disagree. And I hope that we can still be friends if you disagree with me uh, on this. But we all know that we live in a sex-obsessed culture, so much so that the Bang Brothers, a porn company, has bid $10 million for the naming rights of the Miami Heat basketball arena, and they may just get it. And Paul was ministering in the same type of environment when he was mentoring a younger guy named Timothy that he was teaching to spiritually adult. Look what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord from pure hearts. And so basically what he's saying here is that it's like this. I brought this little plastic cup from my workshop. And in the bottom of it is remains of old paint and stain and paint thinner and, you know, as I cleaned a bunch of brushes, if you drink from this, I, I can't guarantee you that you'll live through it, okay? Uh, but then I have this crystal goblet that was a wedding gift to Jeannie and I 31 years ago at our wedding. And when we have special occasions and we have people over for dinner, we drink from this. And what I want you to know today is that in my past, and a lot of us would feel this way, we've viewed our sexual practices like this, man. It's like bringing death. But what God has for each of us is that we would live as a crystal goblet. And so the big idea today or the transforming idea that I want to submit to you is simply this. I was made to be a crystal goblet. Too many of us have lived like the plastic cup for so many years, but today we say and make the declaration I was made to be a crystal goblet. Would you say that out loud with me, even those of you in the video cafe? Ready? Here we go. I was made to be a crystal goblet. We want to be used for noble purposes in our lives. And God's 
original intent for success, uh, for, for sex, and to have successful sex was that we had understand these four truths. Number one, sex is so good. It's so amazingly good. You know, when I started going to church, it was all about what you're not supposed to do, right? I went to church and they're like, don't have sex before you get married. Don't look at porn. Don't masturbate. You know, don't do any of these things. It was all don't, 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 don't. And I'm thinking to myself, what can I do, okay? Can I do anything? Is there any alternative? And you know what we call that is repression, sexual repression. It's been throughout church history. Uh, theologian John Boswell said this, church authorities, he's talking about back in the day, he says, church authorities issued edicts forbidding sex on Thursdays, the day of Christ's arrest, Fridays, the day of his death, Saturdays, in honor of the blessed virgin, on Sundays, in honor of the departed saints, Wednesday sometimes made the list too, as did the 40-day period before Easter, Christmas, and Pentecost, and also feast days and the days of the apostles, as well as the days of female impurity. And so the list escalated until only 44 days a year were left for married couples to have sex. And to that, I say, no way. That's not in the Bible, okay? (laughs) That's not the Bible. That's just dudes made that stuff up. So what we all know is that repression always finds a way out, doesn't it? And it isn't interesting what's happened in a lot of churches, these scandals and all this kind of stuff because of sexual repression. God did not create men and women to be sexually repressed. If you go back to the very beginning in Genesis, uh, God made everything. He made sex. And look at what he says. Then God looked at uh, all over what, everything that he had made, and he saw that it was very good in Genesis 1, 31. Very good. That word for very good there is the Hebrew word Tove, and I learned from John Mark Comer that tove is a word used to describe like good wine and honey, bread, perfume, fruit, shade under a tree on a hot summer's day. I would add to that that tove is like al pastor tacos and paletas and blue bonnets and spurs going deep into the playoffs. You know, that is tove. These are good things. And sex is tove because God created it. It's good romance and foreplay and orgasms are tove. It's all good. And God created mankind in his own image. And look at what he said next in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply. So one of the first commandments that God gives early in Genesis is to be fruitful. To be fruitful, what do you have to do? You gotta have sex. It's like God is commanding sex. And so married people, when you go home today, guys, after you finish watching football, tell her, look, I'm just fulfilling the commandment that God gave me to do, woman. It's time, see, to experience a little tove this afternoon. You know what I'm saying? But uh, in Genesis... Adam and Eve were both naked and there was no shame in sex. There was nothing to hide or feel weird about. That was all before the fall. And so what the Bible teaches is that we were sexual before we were sinful. And if you continue to study through the Bible, you would see this little book called Song of Solomon. It's actually this erotic Jewish love poem from a guy to his lover, Look at Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse two. He's describing her smile. He says, he's talking to his lover on their honeymoon. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. So she's got all her teeth. That's a good starting point, isn't it? I mean, that's really great. That's really hot when they have all their teeth, right? But then he keeps going 
And look at what he, what he says to her next. He says, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting, see? And so it's getting a little hotter now, isn't it? And he keeps working his way down the body. And look at this next one, guys. You might find a pickup line in here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> verses four and five, it says, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with shields of a thousand heroes. And the next part's a little embarrassing. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. So he compares her breast to like deer or something like that, you know? I know some proud Texans saying, let's go deer hunting, honey, okay? Uh, but that's, that's what's going on here in the text. And if you kept reading this, and I'm not going to for the sake of time and embarrassment on my part, but it even talks about like oral sex in this book. I mean, Song of Solomon reads more like John Mayer sung your body as a wonderland than it does some ancient text. But this is God's view of sex. He says it's good. He designed us to experience this amazing, wild sex. It's romantic, not vulgar, see? And there are these three Hebrew words that describe our connection to our spouse and sex and love. And one of them is raya. And raya just simply means like a friend, a soulmate. And then the second word is ahava, which is like affectionate commitment, key on the commitment. And then the third word is dowd, which is like sexual and erotic. And what a lot of people do is they don't include all three in their physical relationship. So some people that have one night stands and just cheap sex, they have the dowd without the commitment or without a really good friendship. And you know what happens to a lot of couples is as they get older, they have like the commitment, but they're not as good of friends or they don't have any erotic sexual experiences as a part of their relationship. But the way God designed us is to come together as two smaller flames and make a big flame of wild, erotic, awesome sex. That is what God has for it. And I am living in the glory these days. I'm just going to tell you that without giving you too much information today. But this is what God desires for us, right on? So God is about the mingling of souls as the two flames come together. But look, the way you get it is through delayed gratification. Because we know all throughout the Bible, it teaches us we're to wait until we're married. You know about delayed gratification. There's a sense of anticipation. It's like that old experiment of the kids in the marshmallows where they took the little kids into the room one at a time and they put a big marshmallow in front of them on a plate and they would tell the kid, we're gonna leave the room just for a minute and if you don't eat that marshmallow, we'll give you more marshmallows when we return. So they videotaped these kids and some kids would like, they'd look at it, they'd poke it, one kid picks it up, he licks it. <laughs> Another kid's like, doesn't have any bones about it. He just grabs the marshmallow and he's like, I don't see anybody. He just chows down on it, right? And what they did was they followed these kids after the experiment and found that the kids that were able to have delayed gratification, who got more marshmallows, were the ones that were more successful in life. And that is true in our marriages and relationships. It was true of the early Christians, they gave 
their sexual habits to God and God used them to become a majority in the Roman Empire when they'd previously been persecuted. There's a letter to the tutor of Emperor Marcus Aurelius and it describes the uh, sexual practices of the early Christians. So this letter is written to Diognetus and the author says, of Christians, they marry as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. See, the early believers kept the business at home. You know what I'm saying? And this was one of the things that helped them uh, to become a majority in the Roman Empire. But our culture's process of finding a mate is very different than the Bible's. And it goes something like this you know, most people would say, well, look, if he or she's hot, then we can talk, right? Then if he or she wants to have sex with me, then we're good. And if the sex is good and this person is okay to be around, then maybe we can be friends. But the way it is in the scriptures and the way Christians practice is, are we equally yoked first? Are we both in alignment with Jesus and on mission with Jesus together, then is he or she hot? Because that is important, right? And then when we're together, do we grow spiritually together or do, do we cause each other to fall away from God? And then if you have good relationship and good friendship as a part of it and all the other things check off, you put a ring on it, you have mad, passionate, exotic, erotic, hot sex and serve Jesus together for the rest of your lives. That's what you wanna do. See, that's the way of God. Um, but what we understand is, is that a lot of sex today has been warped. It's a little off. So we're gonna look at some of the different facets of warped sex. Warped sex creates disconnection. What my research showed is in Japan, they're dealing with a problem called celibacy syndrome, where young Japanese men, it's here in the States, by the way, too, they don't have the emotional wherewithal to have a relationship with a woman to, to do everything you need to do in a healthy relationship. And it's just less effort to stay at home and just look at porn, play video games all day. So guys aren't even in relationships with women. New York Times article written by Joanna Coles gets the female side of this. She says, getting naked and having sex with strangers is hard. We portray it as fun and we pretend it's fun, but people crave what? Intimacy which is not easy to create in a hookup. That's why Britain just appointed a loneliness minister. Let that land on you for a minute. The UK, their sexual mores have come to a place where people are so disconnected because of cheapened sex, because of workshop plastic cup kind of sex that they had to appoint a loneliness minister because people are so disconnected from each other. And the way a lot of people see it is just like a natural craving or desire. So it's like this. If you're hungry, you eat food. If you're thirsty, you drink something. If you're aroused, then you find someone to have sex with you. If you can't find someone to have sex with you, then you just masturbate and take care of it yourself. That's the way of this world. But what does the Bible teach us? Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 19. Paul says to a pretty young church, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. 
And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her, run from sexual sin. See, he says it again. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against who? Your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And look, some of us are joining the Holy Spirit of God to people that we don't belong with. And it grieves the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And some of you have had these hookups and things like this, and there's something that doesn't feel right on the inside. You know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit inside you, grieved in his way, saying to you, hey, there's a better way. But look at the next way sex is warped when sex is worshipped. And this is what happened in Romans 1 when this group of people uh, is described where God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. And there is a connection between our sex and our worship for sure. There's this guy who was a professor and he was a novel writer that wrote one of the most influential novels in the last hundred years. His name is, was uh, David Foster Wallace, not a Christian guy at all, but here's what he said about worship. He said, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles. Is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive? Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Isn't that the truth? And, you know, worshiping sex is nothing new. It was true in Paul's day when he went to Ephesus and saw the temple to Artemis or Diana where there were a thousand temple prostitutes that worked there and people would go and make sacrifices to have sex with one of the temple prostitutes. And people do the same today. People lay down their innocence for sex. People lay down hours of their time to look at a screen and waste away parts of days. People lay down money, loads of money. They sacrifice it for sex. But look how uh, warped sex is dependent upon porn. And we know that porn is connected to lust. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And so men, do you remember the first time you ever saw Pornography. I would guess that most of us, even though you know not everybody looks at it all the time, you remember the first time you saw it, the generation gone by, people saw it in a magazine. Others saw something similar to it, you know, like that show Baywatch back in the day. Look at Pamela Anderson run down the beach, you know. It's amazing she didn't get two black eyes, you know, running down that beach. You know what I'm saying? But it's like then today is so much more accessible, isn't it? Look at this New York Times article, what teenagers are learning from online porn. In Boston, there's this porn literacy curriculum for high school students designed to reduce sexual violence. And the assumption is, is that every kid is already watching porn. So they think they've just got to make kids more savvy at watching porn so that they see all the violent trends in there and it cuts down on violence and dating 
situations there. Another thing that warp sex is uh, warp sex can result from the dating app culture. And I'm not saying that all dating apps are wrong. Obviously, it's how you use it. And also, I would say I don't really know much about this, you know, since I've dated. We didn't have dating apps when I was dating. So I don't I've never really swiped left, right or up or down. I have no idea. I just had friends in the church explain it to me. And then I had to do a little research um, on New York Times or rather uh, Vanity Fair what all pastors should read, right? And and there's this article, Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse. And look at what one guy says in this article. He says, you could talk to two or three girls at a bar and pick up the best one, or you could swipe a couple of hundred people a day, and the sample size is so much larger, it's setting up two or three Tinder dates a week, and chances are sleeping with all of them, so you could rack up 100 girls you've slept with in a year. And I continued to read the article and I learned these new terms like Tinderella. And a Tinderella is a girl that you wouldn't sleep with after midnight, but you would before midnight. And then there's what's called a Tinder King. And this is a guy that can get a woman to sleep with him just by his text message game. And so uh, the greatest ones could only use emojis to do it. And then there was Tinder food stamps. And this is where girls admitted that they would get on dating apps in order just to get free meals from time to time, which uh, I can kind of relate to that one, you know what I mean? But anyways, (laughs) look at what one guy said. And this was so sad to me. He says, I've sort of played that I could be a boyfriend kind of guy in order to win them over. But then they start wanting me to care. And I just don't. Isn't that sad? And here was another sad one. This young woman said, I had sex with a guy and he ignored me as I got dressed and I saw he was already back on Tinder. Man, can you imagine? And what I want to say to you is that, ladies, you were not made to be a Tinderella. Guys, you were not made to be a Tinder king. You're not made to cash in on meals, you know, Tinder, you know, welfare or whatever You were made to be this. This is who you are. You're made to be a crystal goblet. Look at number three. If you're struggling with sexual sin, rewire your brain. Because we live in such a sexually charged culture, many of us have been swept in. And we want to change. We got to rewire our brains. There's this book. It's not a Christian book. It's called Empire of Illusion by Chris Hedges. And he talks about in that one chapter how the porn industry targets teens and 20-somethings. And the brain scans reveal that people with internet porn addictions have less gray matter in several areas of the brain, one of which is the insula, which impacts feelings of empathy and emotions, uh, compassion for other people. And so Porn keeps people from being able to feel for others, feel compassion or even empathy for others. And when someone sees something gross or violent on a porn movie, it gets connected to the pleasure center. So the saying is, neurons that fire together wire together, and people who are addicted to porn are much more likely to commit rape. And this is why. And this is not what God has for you. This is what God has for you. You weren't created to have your neurons wired together to think gross things are pleasurable. 
but you were made to be a crystal goblet, see? And the science is called neuroplasticity, and according to neuroscientist William Struthers in his book Wired for Intimacy, the good news is that repetitive, positive, and good thinking and thoughts and meditating on the Word of God can rewire your brain to be healthy again. That's what Paul was picking up on in Romans 12 too, when he says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And if you want help to recover from some sexual addiction or problem, I wanted to show you many different resources here. Uh, one is our Conquerors tribe right here at the church. There's Pure Life Ministry, Triple X Church. There's a myriad of them. We'll post these online later today so that you can take a look at those if that would be helpful for you. But to help brothers and sisters dealing with sexual addictions as a church and as a people, I think we have to remove shame from the equation. This is number four. And part of the role of my life and ministry for the rest of my life is to remove the shame that's been heaped on people. If you come here today and you bring guilt and you feel shame, uh, especially if you've been the victim of someone else's sexual brokenness, we're here to remove that. If you feel dirty, judged, condemned, if you would say, hey, look, Doug, if you knew some of the things I've done with my body and the people that I've been with and the things that I've done, nobody in this church would talk to me. And I want to erase that just for a minute. I want to let you know that many of us have struggled in this area, myself included, and we just come in together to love each other and help each other and let God's grace lead us to repentance. That's what we're trying to do together. And so you can just take that shame out of the equation. And I have literally spoken to hundreds of men and women over the years about their sexual brokenness. And one of the things I've heard over and over again is people who don't believe you'll ever be able to really get free from it. And I'm here to tell you that is not true. And I've lived over 18 years without acting out on my past sexual addiction because God did something for me that I wasn't able to do for myself. And I want you to know that it's possible. And some of you need to receive that hope today. And others of you have been trying really hard. You've been working at it, you know, and trying to keep your life pure sexually. And you've stumbled and fallen and struggled. And I want to share a verse with you that I hope is encouraging. It's Proverbs 24, 16. And it says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And that number could be seven or 70 times seven. But look. The truth about a righteous person is no matter how many times you fall, you rise again. And I want to encourage some of you to rise again today because you don't know that that next time that you decide to get back up when you've relapsed or fallen may be your last time to fall. That next time you rise again and get up and start trying again may be the time you get completely free from the behaviors that you don't want to be involved in. And so I want to pray with you just for a minute and minister to you and shepherd and pastor you just for a minute. Would you let me do that? In order to do that, I need us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And I'm going to ask you to do something here. The men right now, I'm going to ask all the men in the room and in the video cafe to just stand up real quick. Go ahead and stand up, men. And I want to speak some things into you as we have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Men, if you, brothers, if you have lived a pure life and you're on a good long streak of not acting out, I want to encourage you and say, well done, good job. If you're one who is a spiritual investigator or maybe a Christian and you've 
not found fulfillment in hooking up and you wonder why it feels so empty, I want you to just consider that God's way will bring you the holistic fulfillment that you're looking for. And some of you brothers, if you've been violated at some point in your life, and you know what I mean, I want you to understand that God never damages the bruised reed. And he wants you to know that it wasn't your fault and you're not less of a man and you're his beloved son and he loves you deeply and he accepts you wholeheartedly. And if you've struggled to stay pure in whatever way, if you've looked at filthy images on screens and treated others like expendable play toys, if you come to him and if you've asked for his forgiveness by the cross, know that he has thrown your sins as far as the east is from the west. It's gone and completely forgiven. I want to encourage you today to get up again. Get up again. Keep fighting the fight. The battle is long, but brother, you must endure and you will win. Receive my encouragement through the Holy Spirit today to continue the fight and let the unconditional love and grace of our good God give you courage to keep fighting the battle. And men, I want you to, just the men, I want you to look up at me real quick. This is what God made you to be, brothers. And this is who you are. I'm speaking it in you and on you today that this is who you are as you move forward. I love you, man. And I see your struggles and I've struggled myself and I know what it feels like. But you're forgiven. You're cleansed by God according to his word and walk from this day forward in your true identity in Christ as this, a noble vessel. That's who you are. So men, you can be seated and Close those eyes. And ladies, I want to ask you to stand up. Go ahead and stand up now. And dear sisters, if you've lived a pure life or you're on a good long streak of not acting out, I want to say to you, well done, dear sister. And if you have not found fulfillment in hooking up and you wonder why, what's wrong, I want you to consider that God's way will bring you the holistic fulfillment that you're looking for. And if you've been violated, ladies, and you know what I mean, I want you to know that God does not see you as dirty. It was not your fault. And you're still and will always be his princess. And what happened to you will not define you. Ladies, if you've struggled to stay pure, if you've been in the back seats of cars and been in beds of regret, God does not see you as a whore, but in Christ, he sees you as his beloved daughter. And ladies, would you just look at me real quick? This is what he made you to be, dear sisters. And I know I see in your eyes and hear in your stories the many scars, but leave those scars behind because today all things are new and you are a vessel of noble purposes and never forget the beautiful picture of what you see before you in this goblet. You, dear sisters, are a crystal goblet. You can be seated.
And as we pray, Lord, what we love about you is that you seek us out even when we're far and you say you'll win us back again. Sometimes you lead us into the desert to speak tenderly to us there and then a day comes when you say we're gonna call you our spouse instead of just master and you'll make us your spouse forever showing your righteousness, justice, unfailing love and compassion and you'll be faithful to us and you will make us yours and we will finally know you. And God, I can't help but think that you've drawn some here to begin love relationship with you and the picture of sex in the Bible shows how passionate you are about being fully connected with us, spiritually speaking. And if God drew someone here to join in love relationship with him, I want you to just speak this to him in your own heart. Something like this, God, look, I want to love you now. I want you to be the greatest love in my life. And I believe that Jesus' death on the cross purchased for me your love. So I welcome you into my life now. And I pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.